0: Swing and a high fly ball, belted. First home run for Acuna is a tape measure shot in Cincinnati. There's a deep drive to center field. Get up ball, get out of here, and gone. Home run number one for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 34 regular season home runs for the now 21-year-old Juan Soto. Welcome in to episode 13 of the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Ray Butler, your host. You can follow me and us at Prospects365 on Twitter. We have an awesome episode lined up for you today. I'm joined by our Florida State League prospect analyst Ian Smith Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Florida Smitty but it's F-L-A-S-M-I-T-T-Y he also is a staff writer for Swings and Mishes and you can listen to him on the Earning Their Stripes podcast for Fish Stripes Ian how's it going today
1: I'm doing great man just finishing a long day I'm just happy to be sitting here talking some baseball
0: yeah, absolutely. So, this is going to be perhaps the most unique episode of this podcast to date. So, without giving away too many hints, we are Ian is kind of contemplating launching a new podcast that would be hosted by Prospects 365. And if you follow Ian on Twitter already, you know that his everyday job, he is a pitmaster at Criderman's Barbecue in Central Florida. That is his everyday job. So he basically has a job that we all dream of having. He's every single day uh, working, preparing all sorts of different types of meats. So we have contemplated, and Ian has kind kind of launched the idea of having a new podcast that centers around baseball and barbecue. I think it's absolutely a fantastic idea. So we are going to kind of break this episode into two parts. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk a lot about the MLB draft. It is less than two weeks away. So after we talk baseball, we are then going to kind of take the second half of this episode and we are going to talk about one of our favorite topics and that is barbecue. We're going to kind of get into Ian's everyday routine stuff like that. It's going to be a really, really good listen. So Ian, you are the Florida State League Prospect Analyst for Prospects 365. You've done a fantastic job. You spent your spring, tra- your spring training at the Marlins facility, and they – correct me if I'm wrong, they uh, have the same facility as the St. Louis Cardinals, correct? Correct. So you were there. It felt like multiple times a week you were tweeting videos, you were adding notes, kind of getting your feet under you for the start of a new – 2020 MLB season and 2020 MILB season, and then, of course, baseball was shut down. Well, instead of sitting on your ass and not doing anything for the last three months, you have kind of transitioned your content from the Florida State League to the MLB draft. You have published a mock draft uh, on Prospects365.com. You will have another one of those before the MLB draft on June 10th. We'll get to that a little later. You've also published a couple of prospect features uh, who are draft prospects who will be drafted uh, next month as well. It's been awesome content. It's been awesome to see you kind of evolve from someone who we were going to be relying on for a ton of live looks this season. You've kind of transitioned from that to pumping out excellent MLB draft content. Now I assume having read all of your content that you've published on the site, that this is not really your first year of being super comfortable with an MLB draft class just because I don't read your content and think this is the first time that he's ever really tried this out. But I, I wanted to ask, what's it been like for you having planned to be that guy that was going to be getting live looks at the Florida State League day in and day out, a guy who when the Gulf Coast League started this summer, you were going to be one of the only people in the industry to have those live looks of a Jason Dominguez you have kind of moved away from that, as we have all had to, and now you were writing about the MLB draft just like a lot of us are. What has that been like for you the past few months? Yeah, it's been
1: weird. I mean, uh, the spring started out so great. Um, the first few months of the Marlins camp was fantastic. I really got to get in there, and they had open—I mean, an early camp in where they had a lot of top prospects that were already in camp a month before minor league camp even started so it was good to get in there and get open looks at these guys and then it all ended so abruptly um that it was really hard to just stop and really figure out what was going on but pivoting to the draft really made things so easy for me um it's kind of a, a focus that I have really wanted to lean into the last couple of years but really haven't had the chance to I really haven't had that outlet to really expand my my thoughts and really go to different teams i've really been focusing on the marlins for the last few years so it's been nice to branch out and do more and i've been able to get come down and see the the wwba world's last few years and that's really like broadened my horizon on some of these prospects and some of these younger guys that are going to make an impact over the next few years so really just breaking it down and, and reading up on these guys study and studying video and all the tons of video that's out and available to us right now it's it's so fantastic that it's been just so much fun to really just dive into this 2020 class. I mean, now we're only a five, a five-round draft, and that's devastating. But it makes it almost that much more interesting to follow up on these guys and figure out who's really going to be drafted and who's going to be the impact players. Cause it's going to be an extremely different class than we were thinking it was going to be probably just two months ago.
0: Right. So – Prospects Live, who uh, I always call them our prospect prospect brethren in the industry, they had a three-round mock draft. The entire thing was live streamed a, a, a little bit more than a month ago, it feels like. You had the helm of the Marlins. You were kind of their GM for the night. You got to run their draft. You picked all of the prospects at the Marlins picks. Kind of take us through that Set the stage because I want to talk to you about kind of the updated Marlins plan for June 10th and 11th, but take us through what it was like to kind of be a GM for the night, get to run through a three round draft and making all of the Marlins picks.
1: That was an extremely fun experience. I really didn't know what I was getting myself into when Ralph reached out to me to do that with everybody at prospects live, but the whole experience was fantastic to be around 20, 28, 29 other guys that really know their teams and know their prospects and to to be the GM of a team that I follow so closely. And I know that the prospects and the farm system so well, to to really be a part of that was a good time. And, and to to put the knowledge that I've, that I've learned about the team and what, what route they plan to go on June 10th, was fun to to do that in an environment like that. And um, I was really glad to do it. I was glad to be able to see Asa Lacey go to the Marlins at three. And I know we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> One more thing before we dive into the Marlins, you, I I promise I'm not putting you on the spot here because you have earned as much of a cushion as you want the past few months with the content that you've been publishing. Assuming, assuming that we get back to normal baseball next year, you know, it, it appears as though the minor leagues is going to be greatly altered, but for the most part, it appears the Florida state league is going to remain mostly intact just because, a lot of the high A teams in the Florida State League are also the spring training complex for that major league team. So assuming that the Florida State League is mostly normal next year, do you think that continuing to cover certain aspects of the MLB draft, is that going to be something that you think that you want to continue doing moving forward? Or do you think next year, if we get back to normal, you're just going to continue to hit the ground running um, in the Florida State League? I think
1: the draft is something I definitely want to continue with. I have such access to so much talent in the set in the southeastern area, especially being in Florida here with Jupiter and with all these with all these JUCO and all these high school and colleges in the state. There's so much access to the live look at these guys right now. So it'd be it'd be stupid for me to not go this route. I've had so much fun covering this draft this year and and last year to a sense. I didn't cover it too much, but. Just covering the draft, is it's been enjoyable. And as much as I love covering the Florida State League, and I'm going to cover that with everything I have because it's what I know to my core. It's what I've been covering for the last six years. But I definitely think the draft is something I want to lean into. It's something, a market that I really have, like I said, enjoyed the last few months. And the people that are working on this draft are extremely talented. So it's been fun to, to really pick the minds of different people and really work with different people in this this process.
0: Yeah. I know that uh, we're going to be talk about it more at the end of this episode. We, we have talked via DM on Twitter that you actually have your own personal big board that is kind of similar to uh, the war room that our Mason McRae has published on prospects, 365.com your draft board has gone unpublished this year, but I could see that perhaps being a, an organic and natural next step. You know, if, covering the MLB draft is something that you want to do moving forward along with the FSL, perhaps, you know, publishing your draft board on the site, giving you something that you can continue to update. And it's like you said, at this point, you being in Florida kind of in the hub of so much elite and premier high school talent, it would kind of be stupid for you to not continue to uh, cover those amateurs and the preps and all of that moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's what I was, I'm thinking going forward. The big board that I sent to you was just something that I really wanted to get started. I think it's going to be something I'm going to be working on all the way up to June 10th and maybe we'll release it on June 10th. But um, that, yeah, of course. I mean, but like you just said about being in Florida and like I was saying before, if I don't follow it being here, then it is very much a stupid move by me. Um, the world was the, the probably the best experience I had in prep baseball last year and to see the talent there and remembering a lot of the talent that I've seen and now seeing every day on Twitter that's going to be in this draft in two weeks from now, is just, it's just – it's a pretty cool experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dive into kind of your mind and where you're at. I know that you're extremely connected within the Marlins organization. You have kind of had a, a pretty good feel on their plans at pick three next month. They pick third on June 10th in the first round of the MLB draft. It, it seems like it is Osalacy's Lacy's spot to lose. I, I, you know, I told you a couple of weeks ago that I had heard a rumor of, you know, a massive underslot uh, with them perhaps going with Garrett Crochet at that pick. Uh, I want to kind of throw two different scenarios at you. Let's say that the first two picks are chalk. Let's say that Spencer Torkelson is drafted first overall by the Detroit Tigers. Austin Martin is drafted second overall by the Baltimore Orioles. And, and, you know, and that is, of course, the odds-on favorite to happen. I would say that it would be Perfect. relatively shocking if anything else happened at the first two picks.
1: But, I'm almost ready something else is going to happen now with This last, the way the last few weeks have went. But if if that happens, the pick will be Ace Lacey. I think he's been the number one guy on their board for the last few months, maybe even longer than that. And um, I think he's going to be the guy if he's on the board at three.
0: Right, and I think it's – It's an excellent pick. Uh, I'm glad that they're not overthinking it. I'm glad that Lacey has kind of become their guy. Now, second scenario, let's say that, you know, I said on the last episode of this podcast, I was talking to Mason McRae, our MLB draft analyst, and I said that the Orioles, more so than any other organization in Major League Baseball, they prioritize and really, uh, they just put a whole lot of importance around vertical movement in their pitchers' fastballs. Uh, they have continued developing that with guys like a DL Hall. Grayson Rodriguez has one of the most elite vertical movement fastballs in the minor leagues. He really took a big step with that this offseason under the tutelage of the Marlins and their ever-growing uh, analytics department. Let's say that it goes off the rails early next month and the Orioles or the Tigers don't go chalk. Let's say that Spencer Torkelson and Austin Marr, let's say – for the sake of this argument, let's say that the Tigers draft Torkelson, but the Orioles draft Os Lacey. What do the Marlins do?
1: Uh, I don't think it's going to be Garrett Crochet. I think it's going to be Minnesota's Max Meyer. Um, that's the name I've heard. If they go a different route at that position would be Meyer. Um, I think, like everybody else said, his two-pitch combo with the fastball slider is, is next to elite. I mean, it could be even better than Lacey's if you really break it down. Um, what what he has what knocks him is is not not his starter trades. he really doesn't have that, that starter workload over his last three years and he's only six foot tall, but you see the move they made with making the trade for Sixo Sanchez as a headliner in the J T really muto deal, so they feel they can they can use that kind of asset and that type of arm that Meyer has and make something make something out of him as a as a starter and as, at the next level.
0: So in this hypothetical. You're saying if Torkelson goes one and Lacey goes two, you think the Marlins continue to let Austin Martin slide?
1: As far as I know, yes. I mean, as as much as I've heard, I think the Marlins will like to lean pitching. I mean, Austin Martin, if he's there, I think it's going to be extremely hard to pass up. Um, I think that's controversial to say that he was straight up going to be passed up for Meyer, but – I think the Marlins want to lean pitching early in this draft. And if their guy's gone, I think they like Meyer enough to pass up on Martin.
0: Right. Yeah. And I've heard the same thing as you. I know that you have, you've heard it much more in depth than I have, but based on everything I've heard, I think the Marlins, they they expect Lacey to be on the board at pick three. Uh, and they are targeting college pitcher. It's basically kind of been the consensus throughout the industry. One yeah. more uh, Marlin centered question. I know I've asked you before. They also have the 40th overall pick. And you have kind of been under the impression that they're they're going to start pitcher-pitcher. They want Lacey at third overall. And then in all likelihood, they probably, or at least the last you told me, they are targeting another pitcher at the 40th overall pick. Do you have any specific names at that pick or just kind of the archetype that they're targeting a pitcher?
1: Yeah, I mean, you said it before. I think it's going to be college pitching early and often. I think they're going to go that route again in the second round. Um, it's, It's chances they could go that route again with one of their next two picks after that. But with the 40th pick, a few of the names that I've heard, were Tanner Burns out of Auburn, and if Clayton Beater's on the board, which was going to be a sh- extremely unlikely, but I believe he's a name that's there as well. Um, Alejandro Rosario is a guy that I think they're going to give a strong look at, even though he's a prep, but he's somebody that they could sign slightly over slot in the second. That would be a huge sign.
0: That would be a gigantic sign. Uh, and, you know, the good thing, if the Marlins are targeting pitcher-pitcher, is – It really appears as though there are going to be some high-quality college arms available at pick 40 just because despite the massive amount of depth that there is amongst the college pitchers in this class, certain teams are targeting certain things in the first round, and inevitably some of that talent is going to fall, and it it really – it appears to me as though the Marlins could be a team that really takes advantage of one of those college arms that, in a different year, would probably be drafted in the first round. But just because of the immense depth of the college pitchers in this class, they could probably scoop one up at pick forty as well.
1: Yeah, that's really the main reason why why I think Tanner Bur- Tanner Burns is on their board. Um, him being there at forty was a surprise to me. If we were talking this a month ago, but after this, the latest. Tr- news we've heard and some reaches that teams are likely to make in the first 35 picks. Um, I think we're gonna see a good handful of college pitchers fall. I think we might see guys like Bryce Jarvis go higher than we thought, but see somebody like Carmen Movlinski out of South Carolina fall maybe into the second round. So it's gonna be a fun it's gonna be a fun first couple of rounds to watch and see what teams do.
0: Yeah, um, Lodzinski, a like a Chris McMahon, that type, I think, could yeah. be available at pick 40, and the Marlins are going to have a, their pick amongst those arms. One more MLB draft question, kind of away from the Marlins, because I don't think they're much considering Emerson Hancock with the third overall pick, but one of the more popular rumors that has kind of been circulating throughout the past couple of weeks is that Emerson Hancock could be – drafted quite a bit lower than has been the heavy presumption leading up to next month's draft. He didn't miss a ton of bats in his four starts this year. Uh, His K per nine went up, but none of his individual pitches uh, had a swinging strike rate of higher than 13%. There is rumor that a lot of organizations are worried about his arsenal and how many bats he can miss with his present pitches. There is also a little bit of a worry that Uh, There could be, perhaps, and of course this is all speculation, but there could be something wrong with this physical. We are anticipating that news kind of trickling out prior to June 10th, but depending on the results of that physical, uh, it could drastically impact his draft stock. So are you buying into the smoke that an Emerson Hancock could kind of make a first-round tumble, or do you think he is still a solid top five through eight pick?
1: I think. I mean, I, the news that you're talking about the elbow is news to me. So, if something comes out there, that could be wrong. That could really drastically change things. But I think, I think nine right now is his low floor currently. Right as we stand right now, I think I think I have him sitting at six um, on my big board and the mock draft that I'm that I'm coming up with now. But I don't really buy the smoke that he's falling that big. Um, he's had, see, he has the talent, he has the command, he has the starter workload. Uh, He has the physical projectability. Um, If the elbow's fine, if the physical comes back good, I don't think he's going to take the tumble that teams are thinking will. I know the analytics look a a bit rough from the last year or so, but I think he's shown and he has the ability to show, to be a plus pitcher and to be a frontline starter. So I don't think he's going to fall any lower than nine if he's healthy. I
0: I think something that we have to take into consideration is the fact that right now there is no MLB baseball. So – the people who are covering the MLB draft—that's you, that's me, that's guys like Mason, a ton of other sites. We literally have nothing else to do except to kind of contemplate different scenarios in the MLB draft. So I certainly think that the industry in general might be overthinking it. As you said, the analytics are a little bit worrisome, but again, he's a pitcher who has that pitchability. He has that polish. He has that command. His mechanics. Are not a worry. Uh, So I kind of agree with you. I think even if he slides a little bit, I don't think he makes it to pick 10. Uh, I, I still think he's going to be a top 10 pick. Of course, once we get more information about his physical and his medicals, then of course we will have a better idea of kind of where in the top 10 vacuum he might be drafted. So kind of moving away from the MLB draft and to the hypothetical Uh, 2020 season. It has not officially been announced yet, but it has been widely speculated. I did an entire episode on this podcast by myself more than a month ago, kind of talking about this scenario in which the MILB season, the minor league season, is going to be canceled and most of the minor league activities are going to be held at spring training complexes. So what that means for about 95% or maybe even more than 95%, maybe 99% of the industry is that we are not going to have the benefit of live looks this season on prospects, but that other 5%, the people who live in Florida, the people who live in Arizona, they are going to kind of be in the middle and the most important people in the industry as far as, the video that they're able to publish on Twitter, the scouting reports that they see based on their looks at spring training complexes, things like that. And it just so happens, Ian, that that pertains to you because, of course, your access to Jupiter, that is where the Marlin spring training complex is. That is where the St. Louis Cardinals spring training complex is. And I, you know, I know that Florida is one of the biggest states in the country, but if you were to want to, you could also travel to other spring training complexes as well to get live looks at prospects that no one else, literally no one else in the prospect industry is getting. So kind of, you know, the Jupiter area more than me, you know what that is going to look like. In your opinion, if the minor league season is canceled and minor league activities are basically confined to those spring training complexes, what do you think that is going to look like for these prospects?
1: See, it's been a tricky, a, tri- a tricky thought for me for the last month or so because I, at first I thought that the season's canceled, that they weren't going to allow anybody to these backfields. It was going to be closed practices for these guys, which I still think may happen. But on the other side, I still think they're going to allow some kind of media into these presences because they want to see some kind of prospect development there's a lot of money riding on that. And if they allow nobody to see development on a whole year on these guys, it's gonna be it's gonna create a tumble effect in the industry that that we've never seen before, I don't think. So being able to have these live looks, if if it is if that's what you're saying is gonna happen, then it's gonna be huge. I had already planned this year on to travel to every Florida State League stadium to see a game. So if we get a, a spring training only minor league season, then I'm going to sure as hell try to get to every stadium I can in the short few months that we have. So being able to get those blokes, the Marlins, especially with their team that they could put together with the high, high amount of prospects and high level prospects that they have in the, in the high A to AA range and even lower is going to be fun to watch. And um, if that's the way this goes, then I'm really excited for that because teams like, like, like you were talking about with St. Louis being in Jupiter as well, guys like Nolan Gorman and Levi Tor will be, will be there and being on that roster. So if that's the case, then I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that is just kind of the perfect reason. If some reason you are not following Ian on Twitter, follow him at Florida Smitty, F-L-A-S-M-I-T-T-Y. He might be one of the only people in the entire prospect industry who is actually putting his own eyes on these prospects this summer, and that will be critically critically important to the way that prospect lists look uh, next preseason and things like that. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot just because I am am interested in your take on this. A guy like a Jazz Chisholm, a guy like a Luen Diaz, a guy like a Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera. Of course, all four of those guys are going to play massive roles in the Marlins plans, the big league plans moving forward. Do you think that they might consider putting any of those guys on a taxi squad to maybe get them a couple of starts a week at the big league level? Or do you think let's keep them all in Jupiter, let's let them develop together, and then perhaps next year give them a, a real look at breaking camp or making an early and often impact at the big league level?
1: I think it's going to be extremely tough I, I would like to see them leave all all of those guys back on on a minor league roster I think Jazz will be the, the guy that gets the hardest book. he really performed in his his slight spring training book this year um he showed a real a real presence at the play he didn't really strike out. I mean small sample size of course but I think he's the guy that they would really give a shot at putting on a on taxi squad if they if they went that route but The rest of the the rest of those guys, Lewin's really making some huge strides. Same with Edward Cabrera. I think both those guys need one more year of seasoning in the myers Just even with the lost year we have this year, if Ever can get back backfield work and if Lewin can just take keep taking hacks and staying in shape, I think those guys bode well for the 2021 season. But with like I said, with Jazz, I think he'd be the guy that they really really look at it being somebody that they would want to put on taxi squad.
0: Yeah, I think if I, – I agree with you. I think if the 2020 Marlins were a different team and a guy like a Jazz Chisholm, a guy like a Luis Diaz, a Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, if those guys could be the difference in the Marlins making – narrowly making or narrowly missing the playoffs, then I think you can make a really valid argument that they, the Marlins should perhaps push those guys. But I think, you know – the Marlins are so young. They have such a fantastic minor league core. I don't really think it makes much sense to kind of push that and accelerate that timeline in a shortened 2020 season. In in all likelihood, you can call any of those prospects up or all of those prospects up. And the Marlins probably are not winning the NL East this season. So I kind of side with you. It's, it's going to be really tough to – build much of a strong argument on accelerating those timelines, let them develop together in Jupiter. Uh, that is going to be one hell of a minor league field in some minor league games this summer. Uh, and then perhaps give those guys extended looks next spring, and then I, I would assume that at least a few of those guys are going to have a big-time role on the 2021 Marlins big league team
1: yeah it's gonna be a a big future for for all four of those guys. um this lost year, I mean, saying it's saying it's my majority loss is tough, I think the most for a guy like Edward Cabrera because he was making some huge strides over the last eighteen months and just stop stop the progress at a, at a time like this was rough. So yeah, seeing all those guys on the backfields this summer would be the most perfect thing for me to see as a Marlins fan at at, at the core. so. Um, as, as a as a prospect analyst, I definitely would like to see all four of them on the backfields as well because I don't think any four of them are ready for a big league roster. Even if they were competing, I think it would be a mistake. I would think they would definitely take a hard look at them, but guys in the upper minors would, would make a more immediate impact, say somebody like a hey, Monte Harrison who I think, was online to make an, a real a real fast impact in the majors probably by May or June if we had a regular season after what he was doing in the, in, the, <clears throat> in the spring and in the backfields and the work he was putting in. So with this Marlins system, seeing the talent that they could put on this backfield this summer will be extremely fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I do, if we have Major League Baseball this summer, I do think Monty is going to make a real impact. And that will be fun to watch because he's an extremely exciting prospect. Let's – transition away from baseball and let's talk barbecue okay if you missed what i said at the start of the podcast ian's everyday job he is a pit master at criderman's barbecue in central florida his job is literally to cook barbecue one of the most cool jobs that anyone could possibly have so i assume ian that a lot of people who heard the start of this podcast are really excited for the next few minutes you're going to kind of take us through your everyday routine. We're going to talk about ribs, uh, your favorite woods that you cook with because you do it so often. Just a bunch of different things. We're not going to spend too much time on any of these things, uh, but start with, you know, what is your take us through your everyday routine. What does an everyday routine for Ian Smith at Criderman's Barbecue what does that look like?
1: everyday routine so i'm finishing the meat every single day for the last three years we've been open our last two and a half we'll say so we've been open three years i've been there almost the whole time we've been open and i get there around 11 o'clock every day we have a morning guy who comes in, in the morning and puts all the meat on at around 5 a.m uh roughly every day we do about 20 briskets and 10 pork butts and then we'll do a secondary cook of what we'll say, either like 42 racks of ribs or 32 turkey breasts, something like that. On a fun day, we'll do 247 burgers like we have recently. But um, so after that, I'm just, I'm really tending to the fire after that. I add some inside tasks that I take care of, but mostly I'm taking care of the meat and when it needs to be wrapped, I'm spritzing on the hour of an apple cider water mixture and i'm keeping my fire running roughly around like 250 275 most of the day about eight to nine hours in so about four or five hours into my shift is when i'll start wrapping briskets i'll I'll take a probe or mostly my finger now because i've got what my boss calls meat hands that i can really just i can feel a brisket now and and mostly tell by touch when it's ready to be wrapped and we don't really wrap it like a traditional texas style barbecue with just straight butcher paper since I'm holding everything for the next day, all the food that we're cooking when I get to work is gonna be for the following day. So when I wrap my briskets, I'm triple wrapping into to wrap and then butcher paper for the last three hours. So that kind of gives it more of an insulation and I can finish it hotter and it will be able to hold the neck overnight and not lose any juice and be able to stay moist overnight and not dry out. So <clears throat> about eight hours in when we'll do that, I'll wrap my briskets, after that, we'll, we'll check. We'll check the pork buds which have been wrapped a little bit before that. And then about eight or nine hours after total of my shift is when I'll finish everything, put everything up, and, and vacuum seal everything for the day tomorrow.
0: So, a couple of things: everything that you cook today will be sold tomorrow. Yes. Yes, sir. And you are—you named all of that meat that is being cooked at relatively the same time at Kreiderman's and the buck stops with you, you are in charge of making sure all of that meat gets cooked to the desired temp, getting it wrapped at the correct time, spritzing it at the correct times. The buck Perfect. stops with you, yes?
1: Yeah, I, I've been the only guy. My boss did it for a few months um, when we first opened. He's, he taught me everything he knew, and then I kind of like took it and ran. I had been a cook before I started here, but I do nothing about barbecue, but I'm a fast learner when I when I love something, and this has just been something I have fallen in love with since I started. So I kind of took the reins early and ran with it. And now three three years in, I've kind of just taken over out there, and I and I do all the meat for now. Two we have two restaurants, and hopefully expanding by the end of the year this year to a third or say a food truck. So I, I, the buck stops with me always. Uh, I've been the last. I've been the only person who's finished a brisket at this restaurant for for as long as I can remember unless I I was out when I was injured. But other than that, it's been me every day.
0: Man, that is phenomenal stuff. I want to ask you several different kind of quick fire rapid fire questions regarding Mm -hmm. just ribs Uh, because ribs are one of my favorite things to cook myself. Uh, You don't have to give any way. You don't have to give away any of your trade secrets that you don't want to give away. Uh, No
1: no secrets here. We're We're all here to cook barbecue.
0: So the way, the way that I cook ribs, I, I guess you would probably consider me a simp just because you do it professionally <laughs> for a living. I'm kind of the 3 two, one guy. Okay. I, I smoke it at 225 for three hours. Then I pull them out. I wrap. I put kind of some rub, some apple juice, some butter, a little bit of uh, brown sugar. I wrap them in heavy-duty aluminum foil. I put them back in the smoker for 225 for two more hours. After that, I pull them out one more time. I unwrap them, and that is the first time. The last hour of my cook is the the first time that my ribs have had a barbecue sauce on them. Other than that, it has just been the rub that I put on them beforehand. When do you go about – I know, you've, of course, you've put pictures on Twitter, and they've looked absolutely delicious. Take us through when you put your rub on. Of course, that's before – do you put sauce on before, or is there a certain point of your cook in which you apply the sauce?
1: So the ribs I've been blasting all over Twitter the last few months are something that are like near and dear to my heart because um, it was something that I really kind of came up with on my own. Uh, we were trying out different recipes on baby backs. Nothing was really selling like we wanted to, and uh, a few about a year ago, I'd made uh, – Uh, They have it's called a billion billion dollar bacon. They have it at at, at first watch, it's a breakfast restaurant. I feel like it's like a sweet and spicy bacon. And I thought I could take that recipe and turn it into a pork belly. And we did that about a year ago, and it came out really well. And so, when we were messing around with the baby bags, I decided I wanted to try it on that. So, I kind of made like a sweet and spicy rub, and we rub them down that morning. And they'll go in the smoker at about 250 for the first three or four hours. And then, after about four hours, I take a brown sugar cheer wine maple glaze and i'll glaze them one time after that i'll let i'll let that tack on for about an hour and then i'll pull them off glaze them again wrap them and then put them back on in to finish so it's about a five and a half hour six hour process round trip on the,
0: on the baby backs are you this is not something i put in the outline but i know you're going to understand what i'm asking no. uh the membrane that is on the bottom of a rack of ribs do you pull that- beforehand or do you leave it on
1: I pull beforehand every time on my St. Louis and baby backs.
0: Yeah. I, so I've never, I have cooked uh, St. Louis a few times. I'm more of a baby back guy, but okay. I have, I have never once smoked a rack of ribs with the membrane on. I always pull it. It's really, ir- what, what do you use to pull the membrane? I, I use kind of a pair of food pliers. Uh, it's not, it's irritating, but it, for me, it it makes a lot of difference in the final outcome. So
1: I literally take a tomato core and start a little bit of the corner and then I can grab it with a towel and I can rip it clean off. I mean, I've done thousands of ribs now, but I can take membrane off pretty quickly. Like say last, last weekend we did 326 racks of baby backs in three days. So it was a, it was a bunch of membrane pulling for a few days, but, uh, yeah it's um it's something that I've gotten really good with, but yeah, just a, literally a tomato core I can just start I can start on a corner and I can rip the rest off of the towel
0: so you said that you know I said I cook at two twenty five for three hours, I pull and wrap and then cook at two twenty five for two more and then after I apply the sauce for the first time, I up the tip on my smoker to about anywhere from two forty to two sixty it just to me it kind of helps the sauce kind of cook on a bit you said correct me if I'm wrong you said 250 the entire yeah I'm
1: cooking 250 the first four hours I mean it could be I'm cooking on a thousand gallon offset with 40s, 50 wraps ribs so it might be a difference and you're wrapping earlier than I am so when you're wrapping that early they're gonna braise a lot faster than when they're not wrapped so I'm gonna keep them at 250 for the first four and then after I wrap I'll crank them a little bit hotter somewhere in the 275 to 300 range just because I want to finish them I'll get a slight bone pull back on the ribs, and then I'll pull them there. So, either, go ahead.
0: How many racks of ribs can you fit on your smoker at one time? Um, give, or,
1: give or take, depending on the, size of, on the size of the ribs. St. Louis, I can probably do about 40, 42 to 48, and, and baby bags, I can do about 50.
0: What about how many briskets at one time?
1: Briskets at once, I can do 30, 32. Um, I can do about 40 pork butts. But roughly, I, on a, every day, I'm doing 20 briskets and 10 pork butts on one smoker, and then the other smoker will be used for secondaries.
0: I am incredibly jealous, and I am also aroused. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> uh, let's talk about woods. I, with ribs, uh, I I prefer hickory with ribs. Uh, I've done mesquite with brisket. I've done hickory with brisket. Anything else that is pork, I kind of do a lighter wood like an apple or a peach or even a cherry. What is your favorite type of woods? Do you, uh, do you mix it up and change it out depending on what you're cooking? Kind of take us through that process.
1: See, I'm strictly – so we're strictly, I guess, a Central Texas style. So we're using all oak. I'm using all live oak and water oak mostly. Uh, for the first two years, we were outsourcing all of it ourselves. We had a wood yard and a wood splitter and we would go and just we would either trade barbecue with with local tree guys or find trees that are down and then just chop them ourselves but then we got way too busy and it needed way too much manpower so i go through about 6 pallets 6 or 7 pallets of wood about a month of straight oak Man, oh, I've yet to use anything <laughs> different. I've heard of, I've heard mesquite works really well, but I really I don't trust it. So I'm going to I'm going to stick with oak until I until I risk something different or something goes wrong.
0: Yeah, or, I, I, or, I, I, or they're not <laughs> selling anymore. You got to stick. Oh, yeah. And
1: still, still stops selling. But right now we're still selling food. So I'm happy about that. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last food question, because I don't want to give away everything. If, if you're uh if our new podcast launches and you're able to talk baseball oh, and barbecue, talk barbecue for hours, my
1: friend. <laughs>
0: absolutely. So last question, you mentioned it when we started talking about food, you said that your boss says that you have, what was it called? Meat hands.
1: Meat hands. Yes. Um, it's just, I just, I have like, I don't know. I have no finger, no feeling in my fingertips in the nine fingertips that I have, but, um, Yeah. I just, I've learned to just the touch of meat. Like I've been a cook before, so I knew how to touch burgers and, and, and steaks. So I already had that feeling when I started, but when I got with the briskets, it was just like an instant, like I knew what I was looking for.
0: Yeah. So I've gotten to where I can feel steak. And of course I know I like mine anywhere from rare to medium rare. And I know what that feels like, but really the only thing that I cook at home or I smoke at home that gives me anxiety is brisket just because I feel like there is such a small window in which you're going to get a really, really good brisket. So the fact that, you know, I'm using my Bluetooth meat thermometer and I'm probing and I'm just kind of hoping that I pull it in that window and you're using your hands. I think that speaks for, you know, the amount of meat that you cook with and kind of what your job entails. That is absolutely outstanding.
1: Yeah. It's definitely a risk that I took at first when I like, Definitely when I was not probing, like I still probe to this day on occasion because I'm looking for a certain temp to wrap at. Like when I get through the stall, when I see the briskets start to dry up and they're not sweating anymore, and I know it's time to wrap, I'll temp some of them if I don't have the the right feeling that I'm looking for. But I I know in my heart of hearts to to, to today that I can pick up any brisket and know what time to wrap it. But I'm still going to test myself and use a probe every now and again, just because I want myself to be, not perfect, but I want to be as close to perfect as I can. So, so it's definitely it's definitely a tricky process to just give up and just commit on trusting your trusting your instincts.
0: So, what what temperature are you pulling brisket at? Because you know I, I've done I did my research before I ever cooked my first one. Some people pull it at one ninety just because they are under they they know that it is going to continue to cook itself it's of course such a it's a fairly dense piece of meat it's rather large you can wrap it throw it in a cooler it's going to continue to cook so are you one of those people that you're pulling it at 190 and just assuming that it gets up to the 195 200 range if you're probing when are you pulling a brisket
1: I'm gonna pull mine at 203 every time. Okay. That's the number. That's the number I'm looking for. I know the flat's gonna be tender at that point. I don't want. I don't want you to to cut through a piece of fatty and the bottom of that piece just be extremely tough. That's not what I'm looking for. I want it to be completely rendered out. So I'm gonna err a little bit on the side of caution. And 203 has. I've. I don't know. Now we're working on probably 5,000 briskets I've done over the last couple of years. That's been the number that's been the most consistent for me. That I've really been happy with after I've felt it really cut into it the next day and and made, took my time with it. Two hundred three has been the, the number that I'm looking for. Granted, not everyone's going to be on two hundred three, but anywhere from two hundred to two hundred seven, I think, is a pretty acceptable number to have a in my mind a perfect brisket. So, last
0: question. Le- I promise this is the last question, but man, I, <laughs> I, I, me and you, I feel like me and you could talk about meat for like days, absolutely, stop. So. It's- you said that you're kind of the buck stops with you and y'all have two different restaurants. You're hoping to expand to either a third restaurant or a food truck. And you're obviously preparing a massive amount of meat every single day, but the meat that you're preparing is actually served the next day. So talk to me about what, what kind of equipment do you have to keep that meat warm, to keep it fresh leading up to kind of overnight leading into the day that it is actually served to your customers. So
1: I have these four warmers They're called called an alto sham so they're about about eight feet, eight feet tall and i could fit roughly 20 to 30 briskets and they'll sit at about 160 degrees in this warmer overnight and that brisket's going to be a perfect cut in the morning all day long so to my knowledge a wrap a wrapped butcher paper and ceram wrap brisket stays good quality throughout an entire shift the next day from 11 a.m until 6 p.m so that's what I'm looking for. If I can keep a brisket that was finished the night before at eight or nine o'clock to stay moist and then not dry out for the next 15 hours on the line is fantastic to me.
0: Awesome. So, And I'm not
1: there till two in the morning, you know? So a lot of these places in Texas and in the South and Charleston, these guys are cooking overnight and they're there finishing briskets at five in the morning to go in the warmer. And we could be doing that, but, the way we do things in the system that we have, it's just, it doesn't call for it. And I don't think we lose any quality by the way we do it. And it it works out. I don't have to, I I get, I get a full night's sleep every night, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're looking to expand to either adding another new restaurant or your um, a food truck. I mean, that speaks for itself.
1: In just three Um, years too, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have to hope if you're listening to this episode, I don't have to hope that you enjoyed that segment about different styles of meat, ways to cook, things like that. I know you did. I hope you enjoyed it as ha- about half as much as I did. That would mean that you enjoyed it immensely. And hopefully that kind of sets the stage for what Ian is hoping to do in this kind of hypothetical new podcast. For now it's just a thought, but we're really kind of hoping to get, get the wheels moving, get the tires moving with kind of this new podcast, a podcast that talks about baseball, a podcast that talks about barbecue. It would be an excellent idea. I know that I would tune in. Ian, there are less than two weeks before the 2020 MLB draft. I know that you have another mock draft that is coming out before June 10th. Anything else that you want to plug? Do that now.
1: Absolutely. I do have an interview slash profile on an intriguing prospect coming out in the next few days, and that's, Connecticut prep Jake DeLeo he's an outfielder who's committed to Georgia Tech he's a guy I think presents a lot of really exciting skills for this draft class he's somebody who's going to be on the cusp of not being drafted or being drafted late and I think it's somebody that you really should look into and and learn up on a little bit I think you're going to really enjoy this interview that's coming out this week and like we were just talking about the mock drafts I want to plug that again just because I've put a lot of effort into this mock draft. I'm hopefully going to have all five rounds going to be mocked for you guys coming out. Hopefully by June 5th is the goal. So if you guys are looking forward to that for the first one,
0: um, that's coming soon. Yeah. Are the mock drafts, this is the first year that we've ever covered the MLB draft. The mock drafts that we have published on the site have not only been some of the most popular articles on the site this year, they have been some of the most popular articles in site. History. And now we have Ian saying that he is going or planning on publishing a mock draft in which every single pick in the entire five round MLB draft is mocked. And what he's working on, he hopes to get that to you at least a few days before June 10th, if not a little bit longer. He is Ian Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at Florida Smitty. That's at F L A S M I T T Y. I am Ray Butler. You can follow me and us on Twitter at Prospects 365. We will be talking to you very, very soon.